review like normal, but I do want to just mention a couple things, and that's uh, from verse 26 of Acts chapter 1. Again, we've been talking about Pentecost for the last several weeks. This is number five in a series, and um, maybe next week we'll, we'll kind of finish it up. We've been going very slow because uh, there's a lot of detail um, that I want to hit plus lay a foundation for what was really happening. What is Pentecost? Since you guys were so good answering that first question, I might just, just roll out some other questions. So what is Pentecost? Amen. Amen. So let's go with that. It was a giving of the law at Sinai. Pentecost was the fourth feast of the Lord, fourth spring feast, fourth and final spring feast of the Lord. What does the word feast in the scripture mean? Divine appointment. Who said that? That was good. Oh, double up on the donuts for Alita. <laughs> it's a divine appointment or it's a what? A dress rehearsal for something that's about to come. So Pentecost was how many days after first fruits? Fifty. Very good. Fifty days later. Man, you guys are really, really good with these questions. I'm going to have to think of some harder ones. So, <laughs> That's right. And you guys finished up this morning, correct? That's awesome. That's really good. For Pentecost. Amen. Did you have anything? Did you want to share anything about? No. All right.
Yeah, that's great. Amen. That's, yeah, that's awesome. Uh huh. That's very, very good. So glad you guys did that too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And all those who participated, thank you very much. That's awesome. Acts chapter one, verse twenty-six. So, just a little background on verse twenty-six. There's a hundred and twenty meeting in the upper room. They're of one mind. They're praying together. Peter says, we need to replace Judas. And so they need to choose another apostle. And how did they do it? Yeah, they casted lots. But prior to that, they had two requirements to choose the next apostle. One is, it had to be somebody that was with them the entire time. And another one that was, the other requirement was, they had to have witnessed the resurrection. Now that's powerful. And every born-again believer needs to have that witness. In other words, an encounter with the resurrected Christ. That begins changing everything. So those were the two requirements. Then they cast lots, and casting lots was, was not just, hey, well, let's just you know, throw stuff up in the wind and see what happens, or drawing straws. It was similar to that, but it was much more because it was a Jewish tradition that that's how the Holy Spirit, when you're asking the Lord and the Holy Spirit, the, the Father, to give guidance, help us, show us who you want to choose, this was a means by which... The Lord would work. My point in this is, once the Holy Spirit is poured out, you never see this again. You don't see the drawing of lots again. You don't see the Gideon putting a fleece out again. This was all before the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, even though many Christians still do those kinds of things today. We want to put out a fleece or, or whatever. Um, but the Holy Spirit is the one, when we are baptized and filled in the Holy Spirit, He becomes our leader, our guider, our helper, our comforter, uh, the, ones who show it, the one who shows us things to come and reminds us of the things that Jesus has taught. The apostles, again, there was a group of 120. We talked about this last week. That is a significant number. The uh, Israeli parliament is 120 members even today. Um, 120, that's a governmental, that's, the governmental number is 12. That's why that, it's important that there was 12 apostles. Um, and that's, a, that's the number of government. And then 120 is, is you, know, uh, part, you know, 10 times that number. But one of the things that they were doing, and whether they realized this or not, was they were laying a foundation for the ecclesia. The ecclesia is the government of the kingdom of heaven on earth. That is what Jesus said he was going to build. He didn't say he was going to build a church. The word church is not in the Bible, if you've never heard that. It's in our translations, but it's not in the original text. The word did not become the word, uh, church did not even become a word until the fourth century. 
So it's impossible for Jesus to say he was going to build a church. Even that's what everybody thinks today. He said he was going to build a canusta, which is ecclesia, which is a government. And so what was happening here, even before the, the, the Holy Spirit was poured out, is they were meeting because Jesus told them what? Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Father. And I'm going to come back to that. Because it's interesting, he said, wait in Jerusalem. He didn't say, meet together on this particular day in this house and you know, be all together. He just said, wait in Jerusalem for the, the promise of the Father. And while they're waiting, what are they doing? They're praying together. And then Peter stands up and says, hey, he quotes Scripture and he says, we need to, we need to replace Judas. So they're laying the foundation for government. Of Ecclesia. It's very, very important. Because the foundation being laid there, then the empowerment of the Holy Spirit came after that was laid. You all with me? Okay. So again, 126, it says, They drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. Now remember, in Scripture, there's no you know uh, chapters and verses. It's a letter that's written. So it goes right into verse 1. So he was added to the eleven apostles. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. What is the they referencing? Well, Janice is correct. It's it was you know the hundred and twenty. But more specifically, because if you read it in context, and that's why I said it, there's no chapter and verse, it says, the lot fell to Matthias and he was added to the eleven apostles. And then it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they, who were the they? Apostles. This is very important because of the ecclesia. Later we see in the book of Ephesians, Jesus gave gifts to the church. Or ecclesia. To equip and train until we all come into the unity of the faith. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They were together. The apostles were together and others were with them. They were all in one place. And suddenly there came from a noise from heaven. Okay, let me go back to Jesus. When we saw the scripture, and if you haven't been with us through this, you already know this anyway probably. Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem until they receive. That's all of the instruction that we have in Scripture. He did not say, make sure you're together on the day of Pentecost. Make sure you're all in the same place. All he said was, wait in Jerusalem. Now, this was a festival, a feast. Of Pentecost, there's a whole bunch of people in Jerusalem. From all over the land, Jews would gather. But he gave specific instructions to the apostles, and all he said was to wait. We know later in the book of Acts, it says Jesus appeared to over 500 people after the resurrection. Now, we don't know for certain, did he tell all of those 500 to wait? Or how did the 120 know to wait? We do know the 12, or at least the 11, at that time, they knew to wait. Are you following me with this? I'm just trying to stir up some thought. 
He didn't say to sit on your couch, get on Zoom, attend the meeting on Zoom. No, he said, you wait in Jerusalem. And what did they do? Because in context, it's talking about the apostles specifically. And others came and joined what the apostles were doing. What did we just talk about? They replaced Judas and laying the foundation for government of this new apostolic movement called Ecclesia. See, everything was shifting right now. Everything was changing. And so the apostles were waiting and others were waiting with them. They all went to a room. They all went to the room with them. They were leading in prayer. They all prayed with them. Peter stood up and said, we've got to replace the, uh, the Judas. Here's what the scripture says. What they do? They all joined in. The scripture says they're all of one mind. They're working together in unity. But who are they following? The apostles. Which is Jesus, when he chose 12 men, he equipped them and trained them to be what? Apostles. He did not equip them and train them to be pastors or evangelists, although they evangelized, or prophets, although they prophesied. That's a whole other thing. You see, in the, after this, you begin seeing apostles prophesying, not prophets. So the and the apostle was the was the brand new gift. To the body, because under the first covenant, the old covenant, they had all the others. But the apostle was brand new. The word apostle means to be a commander. The Greeks used the word as a commander, a naval commander of a fleet of ships. It was a military term. It wasn't a religious term. It was more governmental because military is governmental term. Y'all follow me with this? especially those that have some understanding of Ecclesia, the, the framework, the foundation that has, is, was laid and is being laid, all ready to, for what? The empowerment, the fulfillment of the day of Pentecost and the empowerment by the Spirit of God so they can fulfill and walk in the authority that they've already been given. This, this is, I mean, I'm, I don't run anymore, but I might. I close my eyes and I'm running. (laughs) There was such a dramatic change in this moment. Prior to that day, Judaism was all Torah-centered And Torah directed the law. Once the Holy Spirit was poured out, it was now Christ-centered and Holy Spirit directed. Thank God for the Torah, the law, because it laid a foundation for what was coming. So prior to this event, it was Torah-centered and Torah or law-directed. 
And then when the Holy Spirit was poured out, it was all now Christ-centered, Holy Spirit-directed. Major shift. So major, so radical, so big and so new, many still today can't make that shift. Even Christians in the United States have a tough time with that. And we have this works righteousness that's in, ingrained in so many. We have to earn this and we have to work for that and earn God's love. And we have to do so many things to get promoted or for God to give favor. See, it's that same law-centered mentality and belief. So let's move on. Verse 1 again. When the day of Pentecost had come, in other words, was being fulfilled. They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Period. Let me mention this again. Jesus said, do not leave Jerusalem. But notice where the wind filled the house, it didn't fill Jerusalem. So in other words, all those who were not on Zoom and not on their couch, but obeyed the Lord and followed the apostles and were in the room, received. But those who were not in the room, just witnessed. They didn't receive. Not in that hour anyway. And in that moment. Suddenly, there came from heaven a noise. You know what that word noise means? In Greek, in the language, an echo. There was an echo, and an echo comes from someplace. And the scripture tells us this noise came from heaven. In other words, there was an echo from heaven. So there was a sound, a voice that made a sound in heaven that echoed. Oh my gosh, this stuff gives me chills. Close your eyes, you're running. A suddenly there came from heaven an echo like, it wasn't, it was like, a violent, rushing wind. Now that word wind is very important all through Scripture. Because that wind means the breath of God. That wind and spirit. So what was happening? God spoke. When God speaks, words come out. I made a point of this last week, and I will continue this week. Words that are given by God are powerful and anointed to accomplish whatever God has designed those words to accomplish. He proved that at the very beginning of Scripture when he spoke things into existence. Now, as a side note, 
He did not speak you and I into existence. He created us. But everything else He spoke into existence. Light be, and there was light. Sun and stars be, there were sun and stars. Water, He spoke them. I don't know if we highly value enough the spoken Word of God. Because the Word spoken is part of what was happening in this moment. And it started with God speaking. Because God spoke, He breathed His breath, and it spoke. And it was so loud in heaven, it echoed on earth. And it came into a house where 120 were being obedient and were waiting And it filled that whole house, his echo and his breath. Oh, my gosh. Wow. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves. And they rested on every one of them, not just the apostles. Everybody, because of the Pentecost or all of the feasts or divine appointments, when they were being obedient to attend the divine appointment dress rehearsal, then they received what that rehearsal was all about. Now, this is similar to Jesus's baptism. Again, baptism means to be immersed in. So when Jesus went to the River Jordan to have John the Baptist baptize him in water, he didn't, did he need to, like spiritually speaking? No, but he needed to, to be obedient to the Father. And he did everything we're to do. And so when he's baptized in water and he comes up out of the water, what happened? The Spirit came and descended upon him like a dove. It it literally says it rested on him. This is what was happening with this 120. It was like tongues of fire that came and appeared to them and rested on every one of them. So, what Jesus had done three years prior now is happening with them in a very similar fashion. Now, Jesus, the water baptism, the water immersion, is a type of and an representation of the born-again experience, the being clean from your sin, uh, buried, identifying with Christ, burial and death and burial, and resurrected to newness of life. But at the same moment, when Jesus came up out of the water, at that moment, he is now filled with the Holy Spirit. So you could be born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. And I would highly recommend if you're ever around when somebody's reaching out and wants to receive Christ and you're helping them in that moment to pray for them that they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit at the same moment. Not just because Jesus did it, it's because faith level is high. And as we'll talk about later, so many people in, in, that's been churched have had so much negative teaching about this event. 
and what happens and what doesn't happen, all of these things that they now are filled with so much stumbling blocks in their mind to overcome, to receive the fullness. When I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I knew nothing about anything, really, except motorcycles. All I knew was I had a real encounter with Christ. I'm trying to my best to figure that out. And a pastor said, showed me Acts and said, you want that? And I said, hey, I want everything that Jesus has for me. I don't even know what that is. But if he wants to give it to me, then I want it. I mean, that's how easy it was like for me because I didn't I didn't have anything up here I had to work through. That's that's our war is right. The battlefield's here. We war and we battle with all of these thoughts and the enemy uses that and twists and helps to helps us in the, that battle to stray us away from the Lord. We are in not we didn't just enter it. We are born into violent spiritual warfare, whether we want to realize that or not. Violent spiritual warfare. The enemy of God is our enemy. And he will do everything he can to destroy, tear down the things. Let me just put it more in a warfare thing. Though The warfare advantages and power and authority that we have, he will attack those things the strongest. So what gives us power? What gives us authority? That, that's why he has so come against our identity as being children of God. And our process of becoming Christ-like with this sickening of hell saying that so much of the body of Christ says, well, you're just a sinner saved by grace. Nowhere in the Bible does God call his kids a sinner because that's not who you are identified as. Doesn't mean you don't sin, but that's not who you are anymore. And the more you think that you are a sinner, what happens? Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks within himself, so he is. The world knows that. So he's come against our identity, he did it in the garden. He comes against us the strongest at those in those areas that will give us the most power and the most authority. And what did Jesus say you're going to receive? Power. So what does the enemy do? Come against that as much as he possibly can. And getting very good, well-meaning people and preachers to, to join him in coming against what the Scripture actually says. And that's really all I've been wanting to do in this this particular teaching is let's forget about all of the things we heard, thought, saw, all of these things and been told, but let's see what the scripture actually says. And then we decide we're going to believe what the scripture says, not what our favorite preacher said, not what my parents had said, not what I've always heard in the past, but what the scripture actually says. Amen. Huh? <laughs> when the day of Pente- let's let's do verse one again. 
when the day of Pentecost had come or fully come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came uh, from heaven an echo like the violent rushing breath of God. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues. That word for tongues simply means this. It doesn't mean some like a tongue out of somebody's mouth or a beef tongue, you know, just it's languages. That's what the word tongues mean. Languages. That's why I'm highlighting words. Words are powerful. Their languages of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them. Wind, fire, and inspired speech were well known in Judaism as the presence of God. Wind, fire, and inspired speech. Inspired speech meaning prophecy. Prophecy is not some big scary word. Simple definition of prophecy or to prophesy which every one of us can do that are baptized and filled in the Spirit. To prophesy means, simple definition, say what God is saying. That's all it really says. To say, that's why we need to have teachers all across our land in all congregations that are not just teaching from the Bible because that's what they learned in Bible school, but are prophesying revelation from the Word of God. They are speaking and teaching timely by what God is saying in that hour. That's what Jesus did. He, he didn't have his yearly list of sermons that he went out and said, this is what we're going to do in a year. This is the program. Scripture is very clear. It tells us that Jesus only said what he heard the father say. And he only did what he heard the father, uh, what he saw the father doing. Verse four. And they were all filled who are they? All the apostles along with the rest of them, the 120, all that were in the house, all that gathered, all that showed up for the divine appointment. I'm a, I'm a really pretty firm believer of this. If we're not obedient to the Lord to go where he tells us to go, we are going to miss what he wants to give us. I'm a firm believer in that. So many Christians, and I've heard this for years, think that they can do whatever they want and God's going to follow them to make sure they, he, they get what, when God wants to tell us to go different places, be here, go there, take that job, not that one. Don't move over there, move over here. You know, sometimes I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to meddle a little bit. Sometimes we move another state, country, based on our own personal preference and don't even give a thought to God's kingdom and where God wants us to be. All right, okay, I won't say any more about that. We need to be sensitive to the Spirit of God and go where He's telling us to go. Live where He's telling us to live regardless. Because He's the only one that can orchestrate His kingdom on earth. We, we can't figure all that out. There's no way. 
I've had God tell me, don't buy the cheaper car, buy the more expensive car. That goes against my personal principles, 100%. It's always the cheapest one for me. I mean, it was sport for me to go into a dealership and haggle and walk away, you know, and let them call me. I loved that. I don't like it anymore. But I used to enjoy that. Get the best deal, all of these kinds of things. Without even thinking that was God's will. See, that, that's where we get twisted in our thinking. That's a good word. Like, we think it's always the best deal, the cheapest deal, the easy way, whatever. When some kind, God wants to send us the harder way. The more difficult path. I joined the military because I was kicked out of high school and never saw my senior year, and I wanted education. I wanted to serve my city, too, did our city, state, or country. And boy, did I get an education, but nothing like I thought. I started my own business because I wanted to have my own business and motorcycles, and I, I wanted to build a big you know, a business and, and make money and, and do what I really liked. And God had other plans. He gave me an education in that, too. And I had no idea what he was really doing in the whole process until years later. We don't really know all of the things. And just some of the things that we've done are just our mistakes. But sometimes God is leading. We want to, we want to get better, right, at following the Spirit of God and hearing his voice and I'm not 100% accurate, nowhere near. That's, that's one reason why we need each other. I get blindsided like anybody else. I'll get confused like anybody else. Has anybody had an experience in their life? They, maybe you just woke up or you went through some traumatic thing and you just felt like you were in a sewer and your, your feet are up and your head's down and you don't even know what's going on anymore? Yeah, thank you, Bruce. Me too. And it's hard in those areas by yourself. That's why we need one another, to help one another and to be there for, for each other. My first closing. Verse 4 again, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other languages as the Spirit was giving them the utterance. So let me ask you a question. What was the first thing that Scripture says happened when they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It's pretty simple, right? They just began to speak in another language. Is there any confusion about that so far? I mean, isn't that what the Bible says? The word tongue means they began to speak in other languages. As the Spirit was giving them the words or enabling them to do that. So the Holy Spirit was the one initiating. They were filled and they were he was initiating, wasn't making them or forcing them. He wasn't opening their mouth and closing it and forcing wind and noise to come out. He enabled them to speak in another language. In another language they hadn't learned before.
represented, you can see sides of this tongue that were uh, that were referred to. Right, right. That were given at that at that yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Excellent. So the words were being spoken. What have we just been talking about? Words are powerful. Now, words by themselves are powerful. But words that are given to us as God's ambassadors on earth by God are supernaturally powerful. Because when we partner with the Father or the Holy Spirit and we speak what he is telling us to speak, it's the exact same thing if he was down here speaking himself. There's no difference. That's hard sometimes for people to get if they don't understand their true identity and who God's called them to be. This is why, see, the ecclesia, the government of the kingdom, It all hinges on this prayer, communication, hearing what the father is saying and saying what he says, hearing what the father is saying and praying what he's telling us to pray, seeing what the father is showing us and going out and doing what he's showing us to do. That's how God's will gets accomplished in the earth. You know how Satan's will gets accomplished in the earth? He mimics the same pattern. He mimics the same pattern. But that's the basis and the very core element of ecclesia. But so often, so much of the church, they're taught this way to pray. And it doesn't come across specifically, but pray your desires, what you want. And that's what a lot of prayer is instead of being guided and led. Father, what are you saying? And we don't have to pray about every problem and every situation going on. What we do need to pray about is whatever the Father's showing us in any given moment. I'm going to just, this is my closing, just brief touch on this. We'll come back next week and talk about it in more detail. Now, verse 5, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, a, a devout men from every nation under heaven, And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthenians, Medians, there there was uh, like 15, 17 different languages here named. Could have been more. Verse uh, 11 Cretans in there, we hear them in our own tongues or languages. What were they speaking of? The mighty deeds of God. It doesn't say they were preaching the gospel. Does it? It says they were speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Now, when you preach the gospel, you can include the mighty deeds of God. But my point is, it doesn't say they were preaching the gospel. Does it? I'm saying it again. No, it says they were speaking of. In other words, they were prophesying about the mighty deeds of God. That's what they said they were hearing in their own languages. Verse 12, and they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying, what does this mean? 
And then others, just like today. Because the more things change, the more they stay the same. Just like today, even within Christianity, you have those who are doing what? Mocking and saying all kinds of things. In this instance, they were saying they're full, they're drunk. What a man does not understand, sometimes they begin to ridicule. And because they did not understand what was happening, which they really should have because they says they were Jews. They were there for the divine appointment of Pentecost. It was well known in Judaism as well, because as we looked at a couple weeks ago, when Jesus said to wait in Jerusalem for the, uh, you're going to be baptized, immersed in the Holy Spirit not many days from now, that's when the apostles begin to say, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom? Because it was known in Judaism when the Spirit is, comes out new, then that's the end of the end. So they should have at least had some, but they didn't. At least some didn't. We don't know percentages, or anything, and I don't want to put any of that on there. But they were saying, what does this mean? Others were mocking and saying they're full of sweet wine. They're drunk. Verse 14, I'm going through this fast, but we're going to go through this again a little bit slower. Peter took his stand. I love that saying, by the way. With the eleven and raised his voice and declared. Now remember, this is the same Peter that just 50 days prior, when Jesus was arrested, denied Christ. To a servant girl at night. And ran. This is the same Peter now. That has had an encounter with the resurrected Christ and has just been immersed and baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's in the same city just 50 days prior that crucified his master and Lord. They were, we looked at this too, they were in the room with the doors closed for fear of the Jews. Now he's in public outside with 120 people speaking different languages. You might as well have a searchlight on. We're right here shooting fireworks off. A crowd gathers and Peter takes his stand and preaches one of the most powerful sermons to date. And he says in verse 15, these men are not drunk as you think, for it's only the third hour of the day, 9 a.m. But this is what, and he goes back to Scripture This is the fulfillment of what Prophet Joel said was going to happen. This is very important what Peter is about to say, because Peter is explaining what just happened. He says, it shall be in the last days. Does everybody know we're in the last days? Does everybody know when the last days began? Then. That's when they, we've been in the last days for 2,000 years or two days. Every day being 1,000 years and 1,000 years equaling a day. So it really hasn't been that long when you look at it as a day. (laughs) It shall be in the last days that God says, I'm going to pour forth my spirit on all mankind. 
Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy to say the same thing God says. And your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Why? Because they're sleeping most of the time. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, bond slaves. Does everybody know what a bond slave is? It's much different than a slave. To be a slave, you're forced to be made. A bond slave is being a slave by choice. I choose to be your slave, Jesus. I'm a slave by choice. And you have a bond with him and, you know, covenant, all that. I will in those days pour forth of my spirit. So what's happening? It's the pouring forth. We call it the Holy Spirit. It's the pour, pouring forth of God's spirit on all mankind. So what? That they will prophesy. They will begin to speak words and say the same thing I'm saying. They will see visions that I'm giving them. They will dream dreams because I'm speaking to them and showing them things. And I will grant wonders in the sky above, signs on the earth below, blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the end of Joel. That Peter preached. Does it say anything in there that new languages are going to be given so we can preach the gospel to the remotest parts of the earth? Because that's a main teaching in the body of Christ. That the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and these other languages were given to be able to preach the gospel in other languages. Third and final closing. If that were true, why does the Bible not say that anywhere? If that were true, why is that not something that's happening on a regular basis today? I've heard stories that it has happened. But God can do whatever God wants to do. But I know a whole lot more missionaries because I was involved in missions work for years that went to school to learn the language. And then you have the obvious that's in Scripture right here. It is listed to us, 15, 17, off the top of my head, different languages that were represented in that group. For Peter to preach, he would have needed 17 at least interpreters. Or he was gifted to be able to present what he just preached in 17 different languages. Think about how that would work. Have you ever listened to somebody preach or teach or talk with an interpreter? And I've used interpreters a lot. I've never interpreted for anybody because I can't speak. But I've had other people interpret for me. It's clumsy. Can you imagine 17 of that going on at the same moment? That's not what this was for. What's obviously missed is this one thing. Greek was the common language of the day. That's why most of the New Testament was written in Greek so more people could understand it. Peter was preaching in Greek so everyone can understand it. 
Because you have all of these different ethnic, you know, languages coming together for a festival. How did they communicate if they didn't have a common language? How could they communicate with? How could they do business with one another? You remember I mentioned a couple weeks ago the Tower of Babel. And in the Tower of Babel, and they were constructing the Tower of Babel, the Bible's very clear. They were in agreement. They were in one mind. They worked together. They were in unity. They all understood one another. God looks down and says, look, they all can speak and understand one another. And this is what they began to do. Emphasis on the words and communication. And this is what they began to do. And then God, God says this, now nothing shall be impossible to them. That, that to me, I just, it amazes me because God wasn't in this work. It was just a group of people that were in a unity, in agreement to do something God was not part of. And God says nothing will be impossible to them. And it was based on communication and working together. How do I know that? Because what did God do to wreck their whole plans? The only thing he did that we know of is he confused their language. Because words are powerful. And when he did this, now there was a group here that spoke one language. There was a group there. And then nations, which was God's original intent for nations, not everybody coming together and being one. That was the world's first globalist venture. One world government was the Tower of Babel. We are now in a Tower of Babel 2.0. Because we have a common language now today. They're ones and zeros. It's technology. All of our computer language and technology works on ones and zeros, and it's a common language with all of the nations across. And that's what they, they being the globalists, are trying to push us into a technocracy. The only reason I'm mentioning all of that is because language and words are important. They're powerful and they're vital. Amen? Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you as we journey through this topic of Pentecost and the baptism of the Holy Spirit that you would give us, all of us, understanding in all things. That, Father, that we would, we would just receive everything you have for us. Glory. Thank you, Father. To you be all the glory, all the honor, in Jesus' mighty name. I want to take these last few minutes to talk about just for a few minutes, we talked about Pentecost. This is interesting to me that Pentecost Sunday and Memorial Day and just kind of converged. And I think most of us here are pretty strong patriots. We love this country. And this country is very important. Is it worth saving? Why is it worth saving? Because of Jesus. God's purpose. For our children. What about it specifically? What is so good or valuable about this nation that makes it worth saving? Freedom, 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 peace. Liberty. Faith.
God and their Amen. Amen. So good. So good. The reasons are numerous. You know, we, the freedom and the liberty that we have. And and I love what, what Scott, that was one of the things I was going to mention about the difference. Our, Israel and the United States are just, they're, they're God-linked. He gave birth to both nations. God birthed Israel from one. One man, Jacob. That he turned, changed his name to Israel. And through the one man, he birthed a nation. And with the United States, he birthed a nation a little differently. That was with many men. He used many men, and I include women, I'm mankind. He used many men. And he birthed a nation through the many. One nation under God. Indivisible. With liberty and freedom. For all. Freedom and liberty. Do you know the difference? Freedom is what we have internally. We're free. Liberty is how we can live that internal freedom out in public. The freedom of movement, the freedom to buy property and own property. All of the things that we can do publicly and out in society. Because many nations aren't that way, are they? Iran, North Korea, to name a couple, China. The believers there can be completely and totally free inside, but they don't have the liberty outside. This nation does. But there are enemies that want to turn us into another China or bring us into bondage and control. They want to steal our homes from us so that we can own nothing and be happy in their perspective. We won't own cars. Won't own homes. We'll have to buy what they tell us to buy. All of these things. Freedom and liberty unleashes the American spirit, entrepreneurialism, creativity in a way nothing else can. When we're free to be able to start a business using our own creativity and ingenuity, whether it be a service or a product or both. There's so many reasons we can talk about of why this particular nation, the United States of America, is worth fighting for and dying for. And many men and women that went before us did just that. They gave their life. They, the ultimate sacrifice. Many of them did it willingly. At a very young age. That we can continue to live in the freedom and liberty that this nation was created for. The freedom to worship as we see fit. 
The freedom to speak our minds. To say what's on our heart. The freedom to petition our government and politicians for redress of grievances. The freedom to elect our representative servants that go to the state houses, county, Washington, D.C., to represent us, we the people. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. David Lane, who uh, leads the American Renewal Project, if you've ever heard of that, it's a, it's a nationwide group of pastors that he has connected together to really equip and encourage pastors to run for office. And he sends out a newsletter, and he got my book, Ecclesia, a number of years ago, and that's how he and I connected. And he loves that message. But there was a statement he made in his newsletter a few weeks back that stuck out, and I, I really liked it. And it went something like this. For us Christians, if our number one priority is to really preach the gospel, to get out there and to bring people to Christ, then our number two priority ought to be to preserve the freedoms that make that possible. I love that statement. It's very good. If our priority is to preach the gospel, to make Jesus known, then our second priority ought to be 
for us to preserve the freedom to make that first priority possible. He didn't word it exactly, but that was the, the emphasis on there. I didn't write it down to quote it exactly. President Ronald Reagan said that freedom is only one generation away from being extinct. And this is our time and this is our hour. And I have this little video just in memory of those who gave their life that I would like to show. And when you hit play and it doesn't do anything, then what? It just stares back at you. Like, eat a donut. I'm not going to redo this. I had it past the. Yeah, it's smart. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I knew that was going to happen. I already had it past the. Let's skip the ad. Well, the microphones are open. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. The band's going to play a little bit. 
I would just encourage you. We always want to pray whatever the Father is leading us to pray. But I would just ask today if we have a little bit of a focus on what this celebration, this observation of Memorial Day is really all about. And praying for our country, for the families that have lost loved ones, and to honor uh, all of those. Those of you that were in military service, and there's several of, of us in this room, thank you so much for your service. Those of you that may have lost a, a child or a, a grandchild in, in service or known somebody um, in, the, in the fight for freedom to preserve this nation. Father, may we never, ever forget. May we know this is our finest hour in which we live to do our part in saving the, the great nation, a nation you gave birth to. Father, give us wisdom and strategy. Help us to honor, honor well those who have given their lives, the families that have lost so much, paid dearly. And Father, I'm, I'm remembering even those back to the founding of this nation and the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, and the brutality of so much, so much blood spilled for the fight of freedom. And even Your Son, our brother and Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the blood He spilled for the freedom of all mankind. Lead us and guide us in our prayer as we close and wrap up today. Help us to remember even tomorrow, whatever we may be doing tomorrow, that we remember what this day is all about. Thank You for the courage to go forward. To do what You're calling us to do. The boldness, the power, the authority. Amen. in remembrance for the precious blood of Jesus that was spilt, God, that we might be set free from sin, that we might be set free from this world system, God. So we thank You and praise You, God. I thank You for the apostles and the prophets who were martyred on behalf of Your kingdom, God, for Your liberty, God, that we might be a people who are free, fully free. He whom the truth sets free is yes, free indeed. And we thank You and praise You, God, for this glorious freedom. The spiritual and the natural, we thank You, God, for the others, the, the generals, the 
of the of our country, our nation, God, who fought the good fight to bring about this nation, O oh God, that where you are proclaimed as God, one God, one government under indivisible, Lord, the pledge of allegiance unto Thank you for this land, O oh God, that we have to live in. We praise you and thank you for the United States of America. Lord, we praise and thank you for the foundation, the heritage that we have, O oh God. So we stand together as a people, remembering all the good things that you've given to us, O oh God. We will not forget, Lord, as, as your word ex exhorts us to stand fast and to love you in the future, to love you in the present with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is your commission to us. This is the number one priority. This is our heart for us to be intimate with you, standing fast with you, God, you alone. And out of that, everything else will flow in order. So we praise and thank you for these words that have been given to us this morning, these words of exhortation, for what you're after, you're after our hearts, you're after our king, uh, the kingdom of God and to be living out within us. You're after us, O oh God, and you tell us to pray for our nation, O oh God, that we might continue to have this beautiful place, God of freedom, God, to come together and worship you even this morning with no fear that somebody's going to bust in, that no fear, O oh God, that we're going to be condemned. So help us, O oh God, to continue to stand fast and, and, and be about uh, your heart, your business, God. We thank you. We remember you, O oh God, this day. And amen. Amen and amen. Stop the light from getting through. We do. do you wish that you could see it all make me? Do you Is it good that we remind ourselves of 
a scripture to share that has helped me with um, learning to be humble. It's Philippians 4, starts verse 10. Thanks for their gift. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content Whatever the circumstance, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this 
through him who gives me strength. Thank you, Jesus. Back in the mid-70s, I was a new Christian, and uh, one of my sisters was in the Army stationed at Camp Lee, Virginia, so we decided to travel from Missouri to Camp Lee to visit her. So we got there, and it rained on us most of the way, and it was a rainy day when we were there, and we visited the, the museum that is there. And the theme of the museum was the establishing of this country and, and all that that meant and all that was involved. I was full of questions. So one of my questions was about those men who gathered together to form this country. And they couldn't agree or wouldn't agree on how to go about this. With that question on my mind, the Spirit spoke to me and He said, uh, I sent an angel to bring those men to unity, to bring forth this country. And then many, many years later, decades, actually a few years ago, in my concern for the conditions that we find ourselves in in this country, I'm reminded fairly often of George Washington's vision where when it looks like all is lost, God sent an angel. But with all those things on my mind, again, I heard the Spirit speak to me. And He said, America is still the promised land, and she is still mine.
Let you win, love. Let you find. 
yes and amen. Father, we say yes and amen. Lord, we say yes and amen. Amen. We say come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, with the wind of your Spirit. Father, come, Lord Jesus. We ask you this morning, God, for good things. Lord, our heart cries for you. Lord, like a man, a woman who doesn't eat who doesn't drink, God, they are hungry and they are thirsty, God. Even so, Lord Jesus, I pray for a hunger and a thirst in our heart for You. I ask You, God, to deliver us from everything that distracts, God, from every enemy that opposes, God, this hunger and this thirst for You. Lord, we we ask You, God, for this hungering and this thirsting, God. We ask You, God, in the hope and the faith, God, that those who seek and those who ask You for this, O God, those who hunger and thirst, they will be filled. So we praise You, O God, that You hear our cry for more of You. We praise You, O God, that we will receive a freshness from Your Spirit. We praise You, O God, that You will bring a healing to our nation, a healing to our land, a healing to our families, a healing to your ecclesia, a bringing back a restoration and bringing us to this place you created us to be, God, a nation, one nation under God, one people under God, indivisible, in the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, this nation of people, O oh God, this man, Christ Jesus. We praise you and thank you that you're so faithful, God. You're so faithful to do it. You are so faithful to pour out Your grace. You are so faithful to pull out, pour out Your mercy, God, when judgment is due. You are so faithful to help us, O oh God. Hallelujah. So this morning, amen Hallelujah. and amen. Bless amen. you, Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, we are truly grateful for you. We ask that your your breath would blow once again across this great nation. God, that this congregation and congregations all over be filled with your spirit. That you would be glorified in our hearts, in our families, communities, and in this nation. 
Father, I pray that everything we do and everything we say would bring glory to your name. Have your way in us and through us to your glory. Amen and amen. Thank you guys so much. You all are a blessing. Just wanted to remind you really quick, I forgot to mention this earlier, the Celebration of Life service this Saturday at noon for April McCart. Other than that, be blessed even if you don't want to. And have a great rest of your weekend. And Father, we know that your breath is blowing upon us. Thank you, Father, that you've given us ears and eyes to see. Father, you are moving among us. You are moving in each person out here and each person around us. Father, help us to hear you. Help us to be obedient to you. Help us to not have one shoe on and one shoe off. But, Father, to be fully immersed in You. Our eyes fully fixed on You. And the cares of these world, this world, all these things, let's fall off. Father, we focus on You. And as we focus on You, all the other stuff takes its place. So we thank You, Father, for this and what You're doing. You are doing this thing. You are moving. You are so powerful among us. You are showing signs and wonders. You are. You are. Who is like our God? Who is like our God? Who is like our God? Amen. Thank you, Father.